Welcome to the Nicole Murphy Podcast, where we explore the impact of media and the power of individual stories on the world that we live in today. Enjoy! Welcome. Today on the Nicole Murphy podcast, we have Natalie St. Hilaire, who is a yoga studio owner. Her studio is Yoga Nova, but there's there's depth to Natalie. She's in the process of starting to write a book. And what we're going to talk about today is, you know, the idea of waking up, what that even means. How do we, um, I guess, expand and how the pandemic affected her business and what she learned through that and how she was helping support people in I don't like this term, but what would you call it, Natalie? It's supporting people in waking up to or exploring truth. What would you call it? Oh, that's such a good question. Waking up is such a loaded phrase. You know, I like truth. There was a a phrase I heard the other day that was like, you can only um, be as spiritual as you're willing to be available for the truth. Mm -hmm. You can only go spiritually deep as you're willing to tell yourself the truth. And I think that that's true in every area of life. Actually, you can only go as deep as you're willing to deal with the cold, hard facts, which is in, in all the different areas of our lives, the facts and the truths of what can be going on are things that we just like, maybe don't want to look at, or maybe I'm really comfortable looking over here at this political area. But if you ask me about my husband, I'm, I'm like not into the, not into really delving deep or looking at the situation in the relationship or so people can be I guess fragmented and willing to see truth in different areas at different levels so I don't know if like if wake it's it's just the same like every other label right now it's like lacks nuance yeah yeah and there's and this is where it gets interesting is as you're saying this you know, there's this idea of my truth and there's ideas of objective truth and how do we know what the truth is? And then there's reality, but we're the creators of our reality. It gets really muddled. Well, that's, I mean, we're in a like postmodernism is the the word for what you're describing and, and like the philosophy of like that there is no one single truth. And I think that's like at the basis of like a lot of the division that we find ourselves in right now is people are actually operating out of like totally different realities so of course they don't understand each other they can barely talk to each other because <laughs> there's different underlying belief sets and assumptions and um and so yeah that's a symptom of that and like as far as a, an individual like we have a, a a emotional truth we have like a physical truth we have a truth of something we believe in our mind And we have a truth for ourselves energetically, like a way of being that feels right, energetic. So that's like four dimensions that we're operating on all the time. Yeah. And I mean, when we start to learn about trauma and the nervous system and different things where that's concerned, something that can feel real can end up not being true. Oh my gosh, you're speaking my language. So like, one of the things I like to point out to people is like, what you want to do with somebody's emotional truth is you want to validate it. Like if someone comes to you and they're upset, they're like angry or hurt, you know, you want to say like, wow, I can really tell that you're angry. I, I, I guess I'm getting your hurt too. And then they feel seen and heard and understood and they can actually calm down. But if someone comes to you and it says like, there's bugs crawling all over my body. 
And I think I'm going to have to jump off the top of the building because it's the only way I can get the bugs off my body. You don't want to validate that. <laughs> and that's like, the, that's the mind. That's the dimension of the mind. So the dimension of thought is different than the dimension of emotion and how we want to handle those two areas is opposite. So I, I want to dig into this because this is giving people tangibles. So what you're saying, if somebody comes to you and they're afraid and they're like, there's bugs on my body, I want to jump off the building. You can validate, hey, you seem really afraid right now. So you're validating the emotion, but you're not going, oh yeah, that's your truth. If there's bugs on your body and you want to jump off a building, that's, I'm not going to validate that. But yeah. you can validate the emotion connected to it in order to calm the nervous system, I think is what you're saying. A hundred percent. We've collapsed. We think truth is only one thing. Truth is maybe multidimensional too, in and of itself. Cause of course, objective truth, like the truth outside of me, like the facts of a situation that are an indisputable, you know, what actually happened, the nature of things. But um, yeah, it, at a personal level, we've totally collapsed emotional and mental truth. And we just think we need to validate everybody about everything. And that's, it's destructive because the mind is like, our minds are not, um, I mean, what is waking up if it isn't waking up to the fact that you're not always telling yourself the correct thing <laughs> or the most helpful thing. Like that's a big part of waking up. Right. So yeah, it's wild right now. We have a big, would, you made that. something click for me though, because I've had interactions with people and I couldn't quite put my finger on it, but what it was is I think some people think, and maybe myself too, is I think if I validate the emotion, I'm a val I'm validating the thought. So then you don't validate the emotion and then there's no resolve. There's no bridge to that connection so you actually clarified something for me too there's the flip side of people validating everything and then the other side of like well I can't validate their emotion because then that's gonna co-sign the mind's belief which is not that's that's very that's very cool that's add a lot of that's that's given me a tool yeah good well like just to expand on that in the context of waking up that's if you're gonna have a conversation that's gonna make somebody realize something or like come out of an illusion, right? Um, the the only way you're going to open up that space with them is when they're super chill and they feel connected to you and open and willing to receive you know, something that might feel, because it's scary, right? It's scary to realize that, you know, I've been wrong about something or I'm going to look over here and look at the situation that I haven't wanted to deal with. And so there needs to be an emotional capacity to, to hold that. Um, and then how we get emotional capacity with other people is that we let them know that we're, we're there with them at an emotional level. Yeah. That empathy. Yeah. That's, that's so powerful. I usually ask this question a little later, but I think it's going to be good here. What is the biggest lie you once believed? Um, the first thing that comes to mind is yoga. Like I just thought I, I was just doing yoga for stretches. Like I was, I, there was nothing else to life other than just feeling happy. And part of feeling happy for me was to start doing yoga and stretching because I would feel less anxious because I was dealing with anxiety. So that, that was all that was yoga or that that was all that was life was the biggest lie. I think I believed so then let's dig into some of your background. It sounds like what you're saying is that you didn't have like um, certain spiritual beliefs beforehand. Yeah, I was pretty much an atheist, I think. 
Yeah. I'm, I'm just remembering this now. Like if I had to categorize myself, I don't know if I would have gone as far as to say atheist, because I think atheists like argue fundamentally that there is no God, right? I don't think I ever was like, there's definitely no God, but I was like, I just don't know. I'm just agnostic, right? But it's not important because whether there's a God or not, I'm just going to make myself happy and I'm just going to do what I want to do or what I need to do to feel happy in the moment. And that was kind of, yeah, that would have been university. What changed that? Well, I went through a really hard time. I went through a really hard time and I um, was actually referred to, to a woman at the church the Catholic church that, um, you know, my family had grown up in and that woman prayed for me. And in the course of that afternoon, my life changed. I, my anxiety dissipated and left and my life started to really work. And, um, it just opened my heart to, to Jesus and to that spiritual connection that I had lost it was sort of like a coming home to a younger part of myself that had known how to connect that way. And in that moment, um, I found that connection again, never really went back to the church. Yeah. And, and actually that was, is wild that I'm remembering this. Um, that was right before I found yoga. So I had that experience. Yeah, it was, it was right. It was like a, Within a year, I was doing a lot of yoga. And then how did your path doing yoga lead to you owning a, a yoga studio and, and all of this? Well, that's, I mean, that's a long story. Okay, so I found yoga almost 20 years ago now. So this is a long story. I'm trying to make it somewhat short. Um, but as I did yoga, I felt much better. My anxiety left. And I started to hear things in class that were very interesting to me. Um, I always liked philosophy um, and there was, there's so much philosophy in yoga, right? And the philosophy of just even Eastern spirituality. And um, I was lucky enough to take a course that had me read the Bhagavad Gita, which is like a, a, an ancient Hindu book, um, very famous, beautiful book. Uh, in university. So I don't know, it just sort of all came together in this way that I was like, oh, there's really something here to explore and to learn and try to help me understand the world. And, um, and then I, you know, I went to a training with my teacher. Um, and it was amazing. I was energetically, I had just, I felt like a new person after just one weekend, I felt opened up physically in a way that my body had just never received that amount of energy, like aliveness. Um, and then I was like, I, mean, I was hooked after that. And, um, the type of yoga I do power yoga also involves a lot of leadership and, um, ideas about leadership and ideas about you know, creating life on purpose and being accountable for your life and living life at a growth edge. So that was like, really perfect for me to sink my teeth into. And then after a number of years of doing that, I just looked around my software sales office one day and I said, if I don't go do the studio and try to integrate this transformational leadership stuff and make yoga broader than just like a, a fitness class, 
then someone else is going to do it in the city and I'm going to miss my chance. And that was, I don't know why that thought was the thing, but it was. <laughs> so, there I'm honest about the thought. There was, you know, some business competition type sense. And I love that. Yeah. Something like it was the thing that kind of like just had me realize like, oh, I've, I really want this. Like, I'm going to be really upset if I don't get to do this, that I think that was the way it dropped. But because I was obviously, I was thinking about it a lot at that time, but yeah. Yeah. People give competition, a like a bad reputation. There's healthy competition. There's healthy, like that push of like, it sounds like what you're saying is, you know, it wasn't so much like you're cool people doing their yoga studios and stuff, but it was like, if I see somebody doing my dream, that's going to oh. be like, I missed the, I, this is part of my destiny, you know? Yeah, I just got goosebumps. I, that's it. It's like if I don't do it's in yoga in in the Gita, it's your dharma, right? Like you're if and nobody can take your dharma from you, but but just that for whatever that was the motivating, the motivating thought that had me go out and actually start planning and signing leases and you know doing the thing. Amazing. So yeah, so we go back. You have this profound spiritual experience in the Catholic Church with someone praying yeah. for you that opens you up and you start to explore different philosophies, spirituality, things like that. I found this really interesting. Your schooling is, is different than people might guess. Where, where were you doing schooling in that time? Was this after or before or? Well, I'll be 43 this year. So I, I was in school till about 25 doing a commerce degree with a major in economics and law. So <laughs> my school is different. Um, I took lots of options. So that's how I ended up in a, in a, you know, intro to Eastern religions class and reading the Gita in university. But um, yeah, it, I, I, I didn't know what I wanted to do. I wanted to go into psychology. I spent a year in sociology. Um, so I kind of have like a background in a lot of the things that are going on just because I took such like a broad range of studies. And then ultimately you know, my parents kind of convinced me, like, just get a commerce degree because then you can get a job. And then I went into sales. My dad was a salesman. So I went into sales. He was like, do sales. And it is a good pathway to career success, right? Like if you can handle the rejection, if you can be resilient, you can hear people say no. Salespeople do well because they bring in the, the, the money for the company. So it's a good it's a good position if, if, um, and software sales was great for me. I'm, I'm can be technical and the way I sold things was by again, convincing people having long form conversations over a long period of time. I'm not like a, a pushy sell seller, like I, or, or like a relationship, like let's go drink kind of a although I did some of that stuff too, but I, I was more like, a, well, like, tell me what's important to you. And let's talk about how the software can help your company and how it can help you. And like over a long period of time. And, and, and so like, that would be more of a farmer salesperson than a, than a, what's the other one? Um, like a hunter as more of a farmer. <laughs> yeah. And, and I've been reading some books and looking into sales and a thought that really does resonate with me is Salespeople are really important. People who do sales are really important when there's an alignment. And I believe when they're in alignment with their dharma, their destiny, what God has them, you know, called to do. And we all have, we all know the schmoozy salesperson. So like, it's like anything, same with 
with any position. So I, I think sales gets a bad reputation, but it is an, it's an important job. Yeah. Salespeople know that like it's, it's, it's hard and it's, um, it's one of the hardest things you can do, but if your company doesn't sell products, a company doesn't bring in money. Um, and, and then, so salespeople become important in a company because they're the, the, the lifeline to the company surviving. And, um, it is, it's a, it's just a, you know, you can get into sales in a way where it becomes such emotional growth because you just deal with, you, you have to pick yourself up over and over again. And if you're aligned to the company and the product, there's really, um, it can be such a, a great vehicle for that, for that. Like I never would have done as well at the yoga studio had I not had like 10 years of sales experience and business experience like that. So that was going to be my, my question next is like, how did that translate to you being able to open your business and have successes? Well, I was, I was like financially able to open up my business and I was able to say like, I did that. Like, this is fully mine. I created this and I had the experience of having negotiated and understood how business should work because a lot of what a salesperson does, like at a corporate level is look at like, how does your business, how you look at the customer's business, you understand that. And then you try to understand how your product can help them with their whole business, not just like, you know, telling them about your product. If you're, if you're good, you switch the conversation and you understand what they really need. And so then when you have your own business, it's just the same thing. You're just looking at your business and trying to figure out what does this business need to grow and to thrive and to survive. Um, so it just taught me how to look at business. Yeah. And, and what I hear you saying, which I want to make clear for those listening is you're looking at what does the person need? Not just like, you know, trying to convince them of something. It's like, can you really meet a need? Can you solve a problem? And then how do you serve them? Yeah. You're reminding me of my sales days, but I always used to tell people this. I always used to be like, you know, that like, I know what rappers will say, like I can sell ice to Eskimos. Like I never wanted to be that salesperson because Eskimos don't need ice. I mean, it's super cheesy, but it's like, I, that would be um, a tragedy of a sales job for me. I mean, I, the world needs all kinds and different folks for different strokes, all that. But for me, it was always about fulfilling on a need, understanding someone or a business deeply and, and um, serving that. Yeah. Yeah. And I'll just throw this little thing in like, don't sell an Eskimo ice. If you want to sell them a really cool ice sculpture, because it's an art thing or like what they need. Cool. But to like, get off on like, I can sell anybody, anything. It's like, so you're excited about being manipulative. <laughs> totally. <laughs> totally. That's, I mean, that, yeah, I was not that salesperson. I don't think you need to be, I don't think you should. <laughs> no, I don't think you need to be. I actually think, uh, the salespeople who are, aren't people would just be like, so grateful for them. Just like you're, you're helping my life. That's, that's healthy sales. Okay. So you start this business, you've gone through this awakening. We're getting into the meat now. Oh, the pandemic hits. How long was your, how long was your yoga studio open before the pandemic hit? I was open two years before the pandemic hit. And, um, in order to lease the building that I leased, it was, um, about twice the size of, of space as what the yoga studio needed. And when I drove up to it and saw that it was for lease, I just knew it was a yoga studio and a coffee shop. Like I looked at the building and I was like, oh, that is a perfect coffee shop and yoga studio, which I think is like everybody's dream to have like a, cause then you have like a little place for your community. And, um, 
I was really excited about it. And I actually thought that it could be like, there could be a hair salon on the top floor. Cause there was just like one office space and my sister cuts hair. So I was like, Oh, my sister could run the hair salon upstairs. And so I was dreaming about, I was daydreaming about it before I got to see it. And I thought we'd also be cool if there could be a dumbwaiter from the first floor to the second floor so that you could take coffee to the people getting their hair cut, right? So like a whole vision, like I was just so, so excited. We went to go see it and I was with the leasing agent and it had been a Chinese grocery and um, dining room and it was built in 1969. So this is the, and if you wanted it, you had to take the whole space. So we're in the basement. And there's one of those old time grocery store conveyor belts, you know, like with the rolly pins. Oh, yes, yes. Yeah, yeah. Like, I don't know where those went, but, you know, it's the thing. They used slide. to have slides like that, too, at some places. We'd slide down. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. So I look at her and I'm like, oh, that's a really cool conveyor belt, kind of industrial. You know, I was thinking it'd be cool if this building had a dumbwaiter. And she looks at me and she said, there is a dumbwaiter from the first to the second floor because it was the regular dining to the fine dining. And we both just looked at each other and we're like, okay. So I opened a cafe and a yoga studio and I had twice the amount of space that I needed. And after a year of trying to run the cafe, I sublet it because I <laughs> had no intention of uh, running an actual cafe and had not thought out how much work it is to run a coffee shop and make sure that the avocados are ripe. It is like, that is a full-time job and you should only take that on if you're truly passionate about it. So I subbed at the cafe and then the pandemic hit and um, yeah, we'd been open two years and I had already been through a lot in that experience. And my two tenants that I was subletting to, cause I had sublet actually they, the people up top, they sold conferences in places like New York and LA and no word of a lie. They were, three weeks, four weeks away from signing a deal to sell their company for like $10 million. Like they had asked me for the lease so that they could provide it to the buyer of the company. Like it was a full, like the deal was getting done. So the pandemic hit, um, the people running the cafe left. And so did the people, like the people who were running conferences lost their business and also left the building. So it was a wild, that was the beginning. Um, that was in the first month of the pandemic that all of this change happened. And, you know, what's interesting about the pandemic is people forget how many different iterations, like, I don't think everyone's totally forgotten, but maybe like willfully forgotten. But those first three months, it wasn't clear that we were going to get any money from the government. So um, that sent us into a very interesting negotiation with our landlord. <laughs> yeah. yeah. That was like the first, um, I would say like trauma of the whole thing was just like the, the initial shutdown, taking the whole business online. And then also just the background of, you know, not having two tenants and knowing that our landlord was going to ask us for X dollars rent. It was wild. Financial trauma. Like, um, I just want to go back here for a second. The people at the conference had a $10 million deal and they lost it all. Yeah. Yeah, that he, when that tenant called me, he was a trauma. He was like, I don't even understand what just happened. He'd been building that company for 10 years. And he was like, he was in the middle of flying back and forth to New York to meet these investors in this, basically this really well-established business that they had built up. And 
you know, from the ground up. So he was about to kind of retire, not really retire, but yeah, start a new chapter in his life. So you're there and you're also holding space for these other tenants who are losing their business too. I guess so. Yeah, that was, I mean, there, every, there was the thing about a yoga studio is that you're kind of holding, you're holding space, right? So there was that, there was the instructors that were losing their livelihoods. Um, yeah. And then all of the people that, you know, those first couple. So because of my um, background in software sales, I knew what to do to get online really quickly. Like I knew how to set up Zoom meeting and get it out to all the students that were signed up. And I was able to facilitate that sort of the night of. So the very day that we shut down that night, we were already online with classes. Oh. Yeah, it it just, it's simple once you do it, right? Like now everyone knows how to use Zoom. So <laughs> it's not that, you know. Um, so, but I, I'll never kind of forget that night and just the way that people were looking into the Zoom camera and like waving, like, and wanting to connect and how like the fear that people had about what was happening, you could just, it was like palpable. Did, were you aware of maybe some of the manipulation and deception taking place by the authorities at the beginning or what, what was your process for that? So being somebody that has been through a lot of anxiety, my sense of what was going on is that people were in fear and that there was a lot of anxiety and I hold a lot of space for that, for people, um, so I was not aware, nor did I think anything to worry about was, I mean, I was worried. Right. And I was like, but, but I thought it was a big overreaction as not maybe even initially, but like within the first few months, because the, see what I sold was software and data. So I was looking at the data and you know, my husband's an analyst too. So there was a place online that you could get called world data. And you could look at the daily COVID stats for every single country and city. And they were just like up there all the time. So we started looking at the stats right away. And then, you know, you started looking at things like who was actually ending up in the hospital and who was actually dying and it was age stratified. So, um, you know, I knew pretty quickly that it was, a. Uh, I had a sense that it was an overreaction, but I didn't look into it in a deep way because I was like, well, we still have to handle and manage really what the people are doing because the people are in a good amount of fear and the people are reacting this way. And we live in this community with these people. So this is what happens when a large amount of people get very scared about something is that they want to control it. And so we're just going through this situation where we're grappling with how we control something that we can't control. And so I didn't uh, initially feel like anything malicious or really intensely um, coercive was going on. I just felt like this is, we're trying to manage people's fear. And at times I would have fear too, right? Like I would be, I would get a news story or a couple news stories. And I would be like, well, maybe this thing is really bad. And like, really, <laughs> I went through waves, right? Of all of that. Like I very much was on the same page as everybody. Um, and then, um, what started to wake me up was when the politicians started using the language that they were using to describe unvaccinated people. And they started saying the unvaccinated. 
And I was like, that's really dehumanizing. And the kind of speeches that were starting to happen. And uh, like, I'm nothing if not libertarian. I am like, I understand I live in a democracy, so it's like majority rules, right? But like, also the most freedom possible best is the is usually the best solution. And, and especially where it goes with like, as far as, I'll say it this way, does this seems to be striking a chord? I don't want anyone telling me what I have to put in my body. And I don't want anybody telling me what I can or cannot take out of my body. I feel like it's my body. It's my choice. So that's the principle. The principle is body autonomy. Like I'm, I have a free, free reign over my body. Yeah. And so when the mandates happened, I went into like, like the, the, the ball just dropped and I went into like a full trauma response. I was like, I, I could hear helicopters over top of my house. Like every time a helicopter would come over my house, I would, I could hear it. I would, you know, like they're around all the time and you don't really pay attention, but for months I had to sleep in the basement. Yeah. So I don't know what, like, I don't know what it was in me that has, that knew that this was like really bad, but it was like, like I, I, I stopped going to the studio the, the things the students were asking me to do, the things the students were saying to me that that was traumatic because I was also like, they, they were for the, like they were bought in. And there was, and I was, you know, having been somebody that had studied a lot of data, what I'd been studying had, because I'd closed my business down and I had some time, um, <laughs> um, I'd been sending the data out of Israel and the data, because they'd given the shots to the people in Israel four months ahead. And in Israel, they were showing that the transmission was happening. Like there was another wave happening, COVID wave to use the parlance of the times. There was another wave happening in Israel after the shots and they were wanting everybody to get a third shot. Well, here we were still on the second shot. And then they were saying that we were going to use these QR codes and that, that was going to stop transmission. So I was writing letters to my MPs being like, um, it's not stopping the transmission in Israel. Here's the data. Here's some, here's a CBC article saying that it's not stopping the transmission in, in Israel. What are you doing? These people are all going to get sick in December. And they did. Like I have the emails where I said that. And then that's what happened. Didn't get a reply from any politician. There was no way to communicate it to the students. So these people thought that they were safe. Like whether or not they had anything to worry about with COVID or not is not, is beside the point. They just had an impression that, that, you know, and, and so it was so weird because it was like, I had never been in a situation really where people had straight up shut me down when I went to them with a concern. And maybe that's like, there's like, I, I actually feel like that's a little bit privileged, <laughs> but I was in sales. I, I, you know, most, I felt like most people respected me. So if I went to them and I said, Hey, like, wait, the, this is not what you th like, but that that's not what happened. And then that was a trauma too, right? Was like, oh, these people aren't listening to me. And so they're not listening to reason. And now they're doing all sorts of crazy things. And like, how far is this going to go? And I was just in, I mean, I couldn't handle it when a helicopter flew over my house at that point. I was, 
I was done. Did you, did you lose friends, family, clients, any of that? I didn't, um, actually, um, I didn't, well, there's, there's rifts in the family, um, where people have, have had disagreements, intense disagreements, um, for sure. But, um, yeah, I just, again, I think it might be my approach in that I, I, I know that doesn't really work when I make people wrong. It doesn't open up a conversation. And so I, I handled it that way. Um, you know, I, I'm happy for that. I think that that's a win and I I'm concerned that the truth and that we're still discovering the truth and that those truths are still, people are still unwilling to hear and face certain facts. And that concerns me. Yeah, it it is concerning. So you're at a place where you're like, sleeping in the basement because you're so hypervigilantly turned on that you're hearing, hearing helicopters. You know, it's so, so weird you say that is I remember hearing helicopters a lot too. And I haven't in a while. There was a lot was of helicopters. Or I think so too. I don't think it was just being turned on to it. I think there was more helicopters. Oh, uh, I think there was. Yeah. When we were doing yoga in the park the first year, there would be helicopters over top of us. Like constantly and that doesn't happen as much anymore like at all like I I do think that there were a lot of helicopters at the time yeah yeah plus you're plus you're like activated so you're at a place that's like not fantastic like you're donezo at this time the studio's still doing its online thing but you're just not going in so there's yeah well it was the choice was do the mandates or lose the business and at the end of the day the students wanted it I can't tell you how many people, because in Alberta, we didn't do the mandates until later. And I cannot tell you how many people reached out and asked me to do the mandates before the government put them in. So you did the mandate. But I stayed home. I wouldn't teach. So it was really tough because I didn't, I didn't agree with it. I don't agree with it like ethically. And I don't agree. I didn't agree with it from like a data standpoint, from like a, like scientifically, I was looking at the data and I was like, this is no nonsense. Um, but I didn't want to lose the business. And the other part of it is like, we, we do exist inside of a democracy and in that democracy of, we have rights and we need to fight for our rights, obviously. Yeah. Like we also, when the majority of people decide to do something, it we also have to like we shouldn't have to respect anything that's against our rights like I'm a firm believer there but it's also like those people thought that they were doing the safe thing and it was the majority of people and that's a really hard thing to like grapple with it's the majority of people in certain communities I don't think they're the majority anymore but I think this is where we get into why the manipulation and cohesion and like all everything that happened was so dangerous because people in a democracy, ideally you're getting more well-rounded information to make that decision. A hundred percent. I would, I would say that people were not getting like you and I, I remember speaking out and saying something on my Instagram that 
around transmission and like somebody was like you're dangerous for even suggesting that people will be transmitting this who aren't back who are vaccinated and a week later it was in mainstream media and all of a sudden it's just normalized oh yes yes but that's because we need two shots and like it's it's like you're not going to get as sick so it's yeah I hear what you're saying I feel for you making that decision because I know that that was not an easy one it was the it was the heart I had been through so much right like opening the business building it up and then COVID and then to be at this point where I was like experiencing trauma and just the the reality of like well if I do what I feel like is the right thing to do, the business will be lost. And I'm not sure that there'll be any gain from that. And I will have lost like not only just the last six years of my life, but the previous 10 that I spent in investing in myself to get to these last six years or five years at the time. Um, and, uh, and the people just, I just, I didn't have a bunch of people around me being like, like encouraging. Um, that I, that I take a stand against the mandates. I had the opposite. I had most of the people being like, Natalie, like, this is what we're doing. And it we're doing it to, to save us. And, and, you know, like really trying to convince me the other way, including my landlord. <laughs> and so it was like, you know, throwing something away. Um, but I couldn't teach. I was so upset. Like I was, I, I gave my classes away and I wouldn't go into the studio and, um, it was really a, it was a really tough, dark, dark time. Yeah. So is it safe to say that the people you worked with and your clientele, like they knew where you stood, even if. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, not all of my, I mean, <laughs> when I, when I announced we would do the mandates, I was, I think the last studio in town to announce, and I got quite a few emails back um, about people being like, good for you doing the right thing. Um, and, but, but my email out was, was not like a joyful, um, email because that's not how I felt about it. I just recognized that I was unable to get anybody to really sit down and look at the data with me. I wasn't like, I had spent almost two months at that point trying to communicate to people and trying to open up a dialogue and have a conversation about it. And, um, people just weren't willing. They just were shut down. And, and so that I felt like I didn't really have a choice. So we're out of that now for maybe about a year. Yeah. A little bit over a year. How do you feel about your decision that you made then? Yeah. How, what do you, what are your thoughts and how do you feel now? Well, I'm, I mean, I'm conflicted. Like I love that I still have the studio and that the community is there and that people are genuinely happy to be there. Like it was so wonderful when the, when people finally relaxed and started coming back together and moving and breathing and sweating together, it was like just the most joyful, beautiful, um, energy and, and community to be in. And the, the business has been amazing since the end of the pandemic. So like, I, I'm happy the business is still there and I'm happy for it for the people. Like the thing that's hard, I think for me is like, I really look at it like a community. And just because I'm the owner of the community, it doesn't mean I get to say exactly, it goes exactly how I want it to go all the time. 
So there's like a leader, right? And I can like have a vision and point in a direction, but who owns this community are the people like everyone. And that's, I think, good leadership. And so I was happy for them that it was there. I remain concerned that there's aspects and elements of truth that people are not willing to look at. And I mean, though, that's been my concern since the minute I opened the studio. That's what the whole thing has been about. It has been about like, I have this yoga studio as a pathway to awakening and, and you're, you know, you're only as awake as the truth you're willing to see, or you're only willing, able to awaken as to the amount is equal to the amount of truth that you're willing to take in something like that. And, um, you know, just in the case of what's going on with our world and post-pandemic, I'm, I'm still concerned about that. So then I think you create like the lighthouse course is something that you offered. It was like a live two or three day event. A couple mm-hmm. of times. Yeah, Do- it was a weekend event and I ran, I run the content through my teacher training also. Mm-hmm. So I guess what I'm getting at is a, I want to dig into what that is and how it's affected people. Yeah, let's start there. Like, because, because my, I guess my overarching question is, do you think that if this happened again, the same people around you would want the mandates? Do you think the same thing would happen? I asked myself that because I think that we're in a situation where we have to really grapple with that idea that if we don't learn from the past, we're bound to repeat it. And that that cycle might be quicker than, you know, in 50 years, um, we don't know, but seems like. So my answer to that is that I think fear drove people to want the mandates. And I think that if they're going to go into that much fear, then yeah, I think that or worse could happen again. Do you think that you would be able to to go along with the mandates again? a good question um I'm pushing back on you a little bit not because like it's 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 totally because like I get curious about this because I don't know what the right thing for you to have done is you know it's interesting as you're asking me I can't put it inside the context of a different situation because that different situation would have been like a different situation like it's gonna have different and that's the whole point is like the thing was so crazy so like and the moment that I made the decisions that I made I I did not feel like it would have been possible for me to withstand the energy of an entire community of people being very angry with and and like like I was like hiding in my basement from helicopters so I I and And like, also I'll say this, like, I felt like I was right, but I didn't know that I was right. Right. Cause it's a different time. That's what I mean. So now you do know you're right. Now I, looking back, I'm like, yeah, it would have been, but at the time I just was like, I was like 80, 70, 80% sure I was right. But I was just dropping in to the idea that some of this isn't okay. Like I had not up until that point, I had just been like, oh, we're just dealing with like anxious people everywhere and people in fear. And so we're opening and we're closing. I was getting tired of it. I was like, you know, 
but um it it was it was like that was the moment of my awakening to what was happening that actually wasn't okay around the pandemic and so that was a I I could just barely hold it together right it's yes under that context too it's like you're you don't understand at this point in the timeline the nefarious acts that are going on fully you're just you're just like okay people are afraid I'm going to be a loving open-hearted person leader service leader who if this is what they want even though it feels wrong to me okay but I'm the minority here you know what I mean yeah I, I mean I, there was like that conversation was going on at the same time as this is deeply wrong was yep. going on and that was what was causing me to be like yeah, traumatized yeah it, it's just not a good I wasn't like feeling like I could stand <laughs> out in front of anybody. I wanted to run away from everybody. I wanted off the earth was <laughs> the actual language I used with my therapist. <laughs> I wanted off the earth at that point. I just was like, I can't. I can't deal. So what, what shifted for you then? When, when was a shift? Was there a shift or <laughs> yeah. Yeah. What, what I mean, the, the, the truckers like the trackers I mean what a beautiful thing that they did <laughs> Nicole never just broken down crying I know heroes yeah and like the messaging around that whole situation is wild in itself however I know people who woke up because they saw the the messaging and then they would see live videos and it didn't align so yeah I think a lot of us were feeling so alone and as you said like you didn't know but once the truckers once that happened it brought people out of the woodwork yeah yeah, it was really, so I had, I had been arguing with somebody on um, Twitter the week before, and I had never really picked up Twitter. Like I hadn't, I had a Twitter account, but for years I hadn't even been on. And um, I, you know, I, I, I had taken to going online and like exploring things and kind of trying to have, try, still trying to wake people up, but you know, up in these ridiculous arguments online. And so I, a week before the truckers started, I had ended up on Twitter and I had gotten in this conversation, an argument with somebody. And then I realized, oh, this is what Twitter is. This is, Twitter is just a place where people are making political arguments all the time. This is, I understand Twitter. And then a week after that, um, the Trucking for Freedom documentary guys, they needed help on social media. So I started helping on the Twitter account on, for, so on, uh, for the Trucking for Freedom. Um, so I was getting all the videos and like, I was like kind of getting a little piece of, of the action. Um, and I, and it was like, I took it upon myself to like post videos of like a, against the narrative videos, like just people of color at the convoy, like the truth of what was happening. I, I was spending like hours a day doing that I was very, my heart was very much with them. Yeah. Yeah. I remember I was writing an article for it and I was watching these videos and I was like, 
to Shauna. I was like, like, this is so cool. I can't even believe it. And then she's like, should we go? And I was like, yes. I was like, let me, I, I, was, I went, let me oh. check my calendar. And then I realized like, well, I've been, <laughs> I've been fired from jobs. Like, like I, I have nothing else going on. And we we're like, okay, let's drive there in 2.5 oh. days. And it was, it was, yeah, the best, the best. I really believe God led, God led decision. Yeah. yeah. I felt that also. I felt the energy of God and I felt so sad for the people that I've, because I felt so spiritually connected to it, I felt so sad that so many people was were angered by it. It made me really worried for the the spiritual state of humanity that people could see what was going on and and it caused them anger. Um, that made me like, whoa, wake up again to like, how can something that I see as like blessed make people this really angry what's going on with them and I really like how many people were like that about it um I was shocked I know I I have thoughts around too like when you're when you're almost like spiritually your compass is off like love will make you angry because it's revealing something and I think love and truth are very, I think they're the same thing. So when does love and truth reveal in us where we can't handle that, that pressure? Well, the Course in Miracles calls it upside down thinking. And it's the thinking of the ego, right? But they would look at us and say, we have upside down thinking. So it's, it's a, it's a very, <laughs> you get, you get, I'm super careful with people's per perspectives and, and, you know, just appreciating that that's really how they think reality is. Um, however, it was apparent to me that there was no hate going on at the convoy. And so for people to really legitimately perceive that um, made, makes me know that it was a pretty egoic reaction about control, right? So fear and control. So you would say like love and truth. I would say the opposite would be like fear and control. So. I'm going to use this term, even though we do know there's nuance to it. You create, you start doing these lighthouse courses and you're writing a book from the information and things and you have people waking up to what's going on. Well, they wake up to the extent that they can. So this is the thing. I don't ever push. So, and, and by the way, what's much more interesting and what people are more waking up to right now is like the narrative around racism and um, oppression and um, maybe some what, what's going on with the gender ideologies, which are very tied to what's happened over the last three years, right? So, um, and oddly enough, I was in San Francisco doing a somatics course um, in January before the pandemic started. And that was the first time that I got called racist. <laughs> I know. Uh, so we were in like doing group work and um, it was revealed to us that all of the white people had gone first in the groups. And I was, the, the room was majority white people, but I just, it just wasn't even on my radar as like a conversation. Cause this is like Black Lives Matter happened in June, 2020. This is January of 2020. So at that point, uh, it was very, it was very off-putting to me. Um, and I was not there for that. Like I was there to learn somatics and I'd spent a lot of money to learn somatics, how to heal the body, how to open the body. 
how it relates to the mind and what's going on there. Um, and, uh, yeah, it was, I was really thrown off. I was thrown off at the way it was presented. And I also knew something was fundamentally off about it. Um, but I did start reading the books at that point, specifically white fragility. So this is before the pandemic. I've already encountered this ideology and read some of the, the literature that stems alongside of it. And, um, I, so now I think we're more in that. So the, the course and the book that I'm writing more deals with what, for lack of a better way of saying this, the woke ideology. And though the book I'm writing doesn't necessarily need to address woke ideology. It's just that all of the premise that I use for the book really refute the, the basic premise of woke. So, I mean, like, the, I think the shortest way of- What would be ahead. the basic, yeah, what would be the basic premise of woke? That your identity is the most important thing about you and that and that power and, and the negotiation of identity on the basis of power is how we need to reorganize the world, is like the answer to, to making a good society is by making sure that nobody is more oppressed than anybody else, you know, and- and that we're somehow like reorganizing the 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 things that have happened in the past by giving people who have been oppressed privilege. Um, I mean, I could go on and on about what I think woke is, but but it had the issue is is with identity. So, like spiritually speaking, what's who are you? That's like the that's the beginning of a spiritual discovery is you start really asking yourself, like, who am I? Am I just this body? You know, am I my mind? But my mind lies to me. Am I my emotions? I don't know. They change all the time. Who am I? And so what woke does is it pins an identity, right? And like your identity is one that identity could be like one facet, one description of you. And then suddenly it's the most important thing about you. And it keeps you separate from everybody else because those other people that aren't that identity, it's a separation. It's like everything that spirituality, as I understand it, is not. And spirituality is like understanding I'm part of one bigger thing. This is so fascinating because yeah, you're making me realize like our our human nature is to be like, who am I? I mean, we've seen it in Zoolander. Like the bigger <laughs> question is, who am I? And if you, whether conscious or unconscious, I'd say some people do this purposely. If you understand that about a human being, you can hijack them. You can hijack that that growth because you give them the answer to the question they're most seeking to try to fill the void that cannot be filled by that. Yeah. And if you really want to get them good, maybe do it to them when they're teenagers. Yeah. Or younger. Yeah. Make them decide who they are, make them decide what they think they stand for at that point. And then, yeah. And take strong action in that direction because when someone takes strong action, I'm just having this download too. That's why they get child soldiers to kill people right away because now your identity is in that action too. 
Yeah. And if you're an oppressor, like if you're, if you're, you know, white and cisgender, as they say, then, you know, become non-binary and then you're not an oppressor anymore. So take care of your guilt, which is a fundamental issue that humans have. And that's something that every religion since the beginning of time has used to control people is guilt, right? I mean, there's so much of it that's deeply um, unsettling to me. And the, the more that I, so I even, so there's like the pandemic thing was going on. Aside from that, this narrative and this thing, very prevalent in yoga and, 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 you know, on the left, I would say, although in Canada, maybe we don't talk about it quite as much that way, but like, um, just this ideology that's taken people over that to me seems really in opposition to everything that, you know, I've ever heard Ram Das or Alan Watts or Krishnamurti, like my philosophical yoga teachers from afar to say is that like, you aren't who you think you are. The whole game, the whole game is to wake up to the illusion of separation. So that's the waking up, right? Is, is like, we're not separate. And I'm, I can tell you that right now you seem like separate from me, Nicole, like you're where you are. I'm where I am. We're separate, but the spiritual game and the, is, is, is to finally wake up from that illusion and yeah. that way, but we're not, we're not there. No. And the left, the left for lack of a better term, um, hijacks that as well. And it's like, we're on this together and it creates like a push towards, um, it takes away individualism. Yeah. It's codependent, excuse me, which is very important as well. Yeah. Yeah. It's, it's, that's a codependent thing. I think that's, 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 oh, that is oppressive because if we're all in this together, then I have to behave a certain way to make you happy. It's, it's like codependence, right? So that's, that's oppression. So, um, you know, that's where you can get into like, and where the, my book gets into like, what is oppression actually? Yeah. I looked up online, the definition of oppression last week. Do you know what, what they say the opposite of oppression is? This what? is like on thesaurus.com. Nice being nice. Is that new? Uh, I don't know. I guess they can just say whatever they want about words now because it's online, so they can change it anytime and any. But that's what they're saying. The opposite of oppression is is being nice. Do you want to know what I think is super oppressive? What <laughs> <laughs> is super oppressive? <laughs> is being really nice to somebody while you lie and manipulate with them to get them to act how you want them to act. Yes. Yeah. That's super oppressive. Yeah. And that would be, that would lean towards the, like, you know, I've, I've acted out of that manipulation before the people pleasing manipulation. There's like the controlling pushy manipulation that we can say is oppressive because it's very clearly oppressive in some ways. And then there's what you're getting at. It's not the opposite. It's the same side of the coin, just in a different way. Or in like spiritual terms, what you might be talking about is yin and yang. Yeah. Or masculine and feminine. Yeah. Although you have to be a little careful because when we're talking spiritually, we're talking about the energy we have inside of us, which doesn't matter what your body parts are. You can be acting from what some people just use the, the label, the word 
masculine to mean this yang energy, to mean this overt energy. First, and so when something's too, too much yang, too much push, too much yin, too much pull. Yeah. Yeah. Yes. What do you think? So, so you put people through this like course, this process, and you said, you know, it's, it's waking them up to like oppressive dynamics is what it sounds like. What do you think clicks for people? Like what, I mean, it's going to be different for everyone, but without you, you know, pushing down their throat, like, how do you bring that out into them, out of them? Just dialogue and questions. And you set up, so there's different types of yoga and one of them is yana yoga. And that's where you use the mind to destroy the mind. And that's an ancient technique that we we don't think about when we're thinking about doing like physical fitness on our mats. But um, yana yoga is, I think that's my, my dharma. I think that's my lineage is I'm a, like a philosopher and an oral philosopher. Like I, I have somebody who's helping me write my book and he's, he helped, he took my course and he helps draw these things out. He's helping me organize my thoughts um, and my theories, even even though I can put people through a course, writing a book is like a whole, it's just nothing I ever thought I would do, but um, they come away just knowing that they can't like lie to themselves anymore about what is logically incorrect. It's so many people just haven't looked at the premise at the basic logic that this ideology that we're all following or not maybe us all, but like our society and our institutions and our corporations, right. Are all following this ideology because it's supposed to make things better. But if something's heading in the direction of identity, which is just another word for ego, which is just another word for when you're in fear, it's not heading in the, in the direction of like what, um, like non-attachment and freedom and love it it, so people just haven't they don't understand so once they start to understand some of these premise and we start to really lay out like what is oppression we have different we're multi-dimensional like just like we started talking even when we just have that conversation with people like maybe don't validate somebody's thinking question their thinking validate their emotions People start to grapple with that stuff. And then all of a sudden they turn around and they look at what we're doing and they kind of go, oh, well, that doesn't really seem like it's going to work actually. (laughs) (laughs) Okay. So this is, this is a tough question to ask and to like answer. So how, but how do you check yourself to, to know that, or to test out that you're not the one that's off base? Oh, well, I'm just really open to people challenging me. That's where you get into like how important it is for free speech. Like I can, I'm going to postulate some things. I'm going to do my best that what I put in the book is not my opinions. It's like logical. And I back it up with historical documentation, as well as the fact that it's logical. Like it point A to point B to point C gets you to point D. Like it's, it's like that. Um, But Aside from that, I I guess I'm going to say some things that are wrong. And I would love to have conversations with people that disagree with me. Um, And I'm open to that. 
And I'm open to that in my trainings. That's, that's actually only when it gets good. When somebody raises their arm and says like, wait a minute. And then we actually start having the conversation that we all want to have. So many people like the working title of this book is healing the healing, the divide or healing division, um, using spiritual practices to heal division in our culture, our communities, our relationships and ourselves, something like that. And, um, when I tell people that's what I'm writing about, they lean in and they want to talk about it. And they're like, something is off. Like so many people. Yeah. I don't think we are quote unquote, the minority at all anymore at all. And it's, but it's not, it's just like a lot of people that don't want it. They don't have the emotional capacity to deal with what's going on. It's incredibly overwhelming for them to like, understand what's philosophically going on with you know these corporations and our government when they're like trying to feed themselves or trying to deal with their own anxiety and depression and every the fallout for their trauma over the pandemic like so many people just can't don't have the container so they need to be gently exposed to material that allows them in a safe way to look at their own premise and to come to their own conclusion Yeah, it's tough because even <laughs> through this, uh, realizing how much we lie to ourselves and make, as you said, like in different areas of our life, we can be excelling in truth. I've I've seen this a lot, like someone, like even myself, it's like you can, or on our side, can know the truth of what's taking place in the government, let's say, or certain elements of that. But then struggling with physical health in your own life. So it is... It's tough. It's tough. It's Life is tough. Yeah. This is not like this earth walk. It's hard for all of us. Yeah. Um, yeah. I think there's a ways to be more playful with it. But there's those moments. Yeah. It's hard. Truth hurts. Like the truth is the, it is, that is the awakening um, that we're that's what it means right to lift the the veil of the illusion of something I push There's back on that saying, want the illusion <laughs> yeah, yeah go ahead I push back on that saying a little bit because not because I what I think it is is the truth just exposes where we're hurting ourselves yeah Nicole I love that say and more about like, that yeah and then it's like when you realize that you're hurting yourself when you're tying your identity to certain things, it's hard to be like, can I be anyway else? Well, yeah, well, that's where it's because it's coming from a trauma, right? That's like, you're doing that because you're soothing a trauma. Yeah. We're all doing that because so like at one level, like you can get so into this spiritual way of looking at it that like this whole game that we're playing as human beings on this earth is to learn how to come from love instead of fear, that's the whole, and none of it. So the the things that we're doing, the ways that we're behaving, they matter. And they're all lessons. They're not, they don't in and of themselves. You know, if it leads you back to healing your trauma, I guess that's what was needed. Yeah. Oh, this has been such a great conversation. 
Natalie, thank you for what you're doing. And thank you for being so honest about, you know, that tough part of this process too. And and putting the mandates in your yoga studio. Because, yeah, that I can't imagine was easy for you. It was one of the hardest moments of my life. But I'm really appreciative to have this conversation with you, Nicole. And like, I, I want to talk to people about not just what went down, but what's going down, you know, because um, it, it's just time that we find ways to open up dialogue and bring people to the table because there's lots of people. So I know at my studio, so many people that know something's up, that don't have the capacity, that haven't, that are scared to understand because they've been scared not only about what they think might be going on, but what, you know, hearing racist views or whatever they're scared of but they know deeply that something's not quite working um and so I'm I'm really appreciative for you having like an open dialogue uh with with people with many different views like I um I get that from you that you're like open to hearing the whole the whole story thank you and I get to stretch into maybe having some more guests that I don't align with at all on um however i will say i've reached out to a few people and they're not necessarily interested in having conversation and when you said you know i might say something wrong my willingness to have the discussion is a foundational thing to knowing you might be on the right track i think that's that's really powerful mm -hmm. yeah wow. when people are not willing to have the debates like how many debates do we want to see happen that are not happening Oh my gosh. Also, when somebody calls me a name, like on social media, the minute someone calls me a name, I just disengage. I'm like, yeah. we're done. We're not, I'm not doing this for any reason now. This is, <laughs> yeah, but it's, it's a personal attack. It's like, yeah, yeah. There's no actual conversation happening anymore. So I try not to call people names. I try not to make them feel more scared than they need to feel. Um, and, and I'm always open for conversation. So if you find someone that wants to have a conversation with me, let them know. Give me a call. Yeah, like a little debate. We want to do some point counterpoint discussions in the future. Oh, that's really exciting. I can't wait. See how that goes. Yeah. Can't wait for your book. Okay. How does how does somebody find you and engage with you? If you're in the Calgary area, how do they support your yoga studio and go do all that jazz? Oh, come to Yoga Nova Studio. We're in Marta Loop. And um, you can follow me on my Instagram account. Um, I am Natalie Ann. I am Natalie.ann. I know you can put it in like the show okay. notes. Yeah. Or whatever. We'll, we'll, yeah. That's the only thing I have going on right now is my Instagram because I spend most days trying to get time to just write a book, <laughs> which is, you know, not, not a fair request from the universe, but it's what's on my plate. <laughs> oh, I'm so excited for this book. And again, thank you for the work that you've been doing and your willingness to explore those depths in yourself so that we can bring that truth into the world. You're awesome. Thanks, Nicole.